Jack, I just want to honor you. You are like one of my favorite people. You make the magic happen, Jack. And Heinrich, too. I'm going to give some, some love to Heinrich. Here comes. Ready, Heinrich? You ready for it? Boom. There it is. All right, hey, we're going to start. So if you're giving your offering or filling out the card or getting coffee, just make your way in. It's casual, but we're going to get going. Um, we got to get moving here. Um, let me see. I think we're ahead of on slide. We're having some technical difficulties, so I have to fix the problem. Yeah, you're going to have to, like, you're going to have to just listen to me and just go with it. So I'll put it up there, and then you, when I say next slide, you just hit the space bar. We just leave space it. Space bar. Yeah. No. Not now. When I say next slide. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right, you got that? So what are you going to do when I say next slide? You're going to hit the space bar. Or, or, you know, so anyway. I know there's something good going to happen. Anytime we have technology problems, there's a good word that's going to come forth. So, uh, yeah. The program that wouldn't let me save the notes that I had already projected or that I'd already written. And so the program that I have the notes in, we have a projection program that runs it on all three screens. And when it, you have to move the notes into that program. But it wouldn't let me do that this morning. So. Long story short, we're running it out of the, a program that only lets me shoot it on one screen. So, the air, yeah, but you know, hey, that's just that's just the the glory of God. So we're talking about um, we're going to talk today. We're doing a series on called Kingdom Culture, and today we're going to talk about the goodness of God. Yes, come on. And so, the goodness of God is insanely important to the Christian because it is to affect every area of our life. And so what happens is, is that the goodness of God, according to the way that we, we understand this, Christ is our cornerstone. From the Spirit, we align with Him. But we align our thinking, and we renew our minds, and we transform our minds, and the way that we think and perceive all things, and that must be aligned with the cornerstone of our thinking, has to be that God is good. In fact, you can say it with me. God is good. All the time. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. In other words, he only is good. He gives no evil, ever. And I shared it with first service. There's literally only one verse in the scripture that talks about God, and it's in Isaiah, and it's like, oh, I, the Lord, bring calamity. I bring light. I bring darkness. But if you read that verse, that's the only verse in all of the Bible, yet we'll build an entire theology out of that and say that God brings evil. God does not bring evil. If you read the verse in, its he in the Hebrew form and you read the verse in context, God is bringing an external pressure upon a people who will not believe in him. That's what he's doing. He's not bringing moral evil. He's not bringing sickness. He's not bringing disease. We've got our theology wrong. Anybody here ever build, you ever work in the building trades industry at all? At all? You ever see, we're in Florida, so we see houses being built a lot. So they put the slab down. What's the first thing they build? The foundation, but then what do they build when they're starting to build the house? They build the corner, right? You ever see the masons when they're building the blocks? They always start at the corner. And if they don't get the corner right, then the rest of the house is not right, correct? So if Christ is to be our cornerstone in the spirit, so everything that we do in the spirit is to align with him. But the cornerstone of our thinking is that God is good all the time. There is no evil. There is no shadow of turning in him. Everything that is good comes from him. He's not the author of sickness and disease. He doesn't bring that about. He doesn't release sickness and disease to teach people a lesson. That's not what he does. 
What happens is, you know, we'll talk a little bit about it, but where evil comes from, we have a broken and fallen world. We have a fallen angel named Satan, Lucifer, however, you know, I, I don't even like saying his name too much, but we'll just call him the devil, right? And so he perpetrates evil into the life of the Christian or into the life of the world. And what he does is he masquerades. He comes in, he brings evil into the life, and then he points and says, look what God is doing to you. Look what God's doing to you. God doesn't like you. If God liked you, he wouldn't be doing this to you when God has nothing to do with it at all. Evil comes into our life through the perpetration of a devil. Evil comes into our life through a system that is broken, which is the world around us, right? This world is broken. So bad things happen for no reason at all. Sometimes you didn't do anything. It just happened. And why did it happen? Because the world is broken. But the good news is, is that God will work it out for your good. God works all things out to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The other reason that evil happens to us is twofold. One is our direct conscious choices. We make choices and we reap the consequences of those choices. Can I get a witness? All right. We do stupid things ignorantly or arrogantly. Okay. That's our problem. We either don't know what we're doing and we end up doing it and we reap the consequence, or we know exactly what we're doing, and we do it anyway, and we reap the consequence. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know you probably shouldn't do that, but you're going to do it anyway, right? And then you wonder, how did I get here, right? And so not, not always is it a direct act of disobedience. Sometimes it is a failure to be obedient, Many of you, we reap the consequences because God has called you into an arena of obedience and you have not made the choice or stepped into that arena of obedience. You stand on the outside looking in. And so you've not reaped the blessing that comes through the obedience of God. And what you're reaping is the consequence of a heart that just won't do it, that refuses. So not everything is a bad choice. Sometimes it's what the Bible calls a sin of omission. You just omit it. You just don't do it knowing what to do and not doing it. So evil does not come from God's hands. This is, we've got to understand this. And I always quote this verse in Philippians where it talks about pounding it in. There's a verse in Philippians that takes, it says, let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. Do you know the phrasing of that in the Greek says, pound it in. Drive this into your head. Whatever you got to do to get this into your thick head, get this into your thick head. And one of the things we've got to drive into our thick head, and one of the things that's got to become a center part of our belief system is that God is good. Always. Always. And even here's even the better news. Even if you've made a mistake and found yourself in a wasteland. Getting feedback. Whoa, I'm in a wasteland over there. I'm in, I'm in an audio wasteland over there. Yeah. So even if you've made mistakes and found yourself in a wasteland, he is so good. And he will be so gracious to you. He will be good to you even in that place that you are. If you'll allow him to. And he won't even be good to you. He'll bring you back and he'll fully restore you. Say this with me. My heavenly father is in the restoration business. It's what he does. It's all he is. It's what he does. 24-7. Seven days a week. Holy Spirit partnering with the father and the son is restoring. That is his missional mandate. He's in the restoration business. Spirit, soul, and body. That's what he does. I always look off that screen, but that screen's not there, so I'm going to look off of this one. So it's important for us to understand. <laughs> it's important for us. What? The words are gone. What do I do? Uh, the, it's important for us to understand. Random thoughts by Kevin, so uh, welcome to Elevate. 
I, I verbally process, so you know, there's not much hidden with me when I'm thinking. So anyway, where was I? God is good. Yes, there it is. We've got to get that into our head. We've got to understand that. We cannot believe any other way. It doesn't matter what your emotions are telling you. It doesn't matter what your former teaching or thinking is telling you. And it doesn't matter what your circumstances are thinking you, telling you. The Bible says we take captive every high thing that exalts itself and tear down everything that ex every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. And a thought that says that God is not good, a thought that says that God is the author of evil is a thought that is exalting itself against the true knowledge of Christ. He is good. I'm not saying bad things don't happen, but it is not coming from the Father. And when bad things do happen, as a Christian, you have undaunted, you have favor that cannot be broken off of you. And that favor says that, no, even if bad things are coming upon you, the Lord will work them out to your good. You can't lose. This is who he is. This isn't just who he is, that God is good. This is what he's put on the lives of his sons and daughters. And this is exactly where the enemy wants to keep you from. He wants the war against the mind, against the knowledge of Christ. He wants to implant false belief systems. Because if he can do that, then the cornerstone of the Christian's thinking is wrong. And the whole house leans. And we have houses in nations across the world that are leaning because our belief system about the Father, our belief system about ourselves is wrong. And so the foundation and the cornerstone is set wrong. And so therefore the house cannot stand. The house leans. We've got to get it in our hearts. We've got to tell ourselves whether we understand it or not because that's what truth is. Truth is relative whether we understand it or not. Here's an even bigger one. Truth is relative whether you believe it or not. We don't get the vote on it. We don't. Anyway, in the Old Testament, we have biographies of people. Here's the beauty. In the Old Testament, God shows us biographies of people's lives. He gives us little snapshots into their lives. And you know what he does? He shows you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that should make us glad. Because what the Bible's actually telling us, it does, it just throws it all out there. Yeah, Abraham lied. Abraham said it was his sister. Pharaoh was going to take her away. You know, all this stuff. Moses, did, Moses killed the guy. In case you didn't know that, we think Moses was a saint. Moses murdered a dude, right? He killed him, among other things. And so what the Bible's doing when it throws everybody's laundry out there is what the Lord is showing us is if I can work through that guy's life, I can work through yours. If, I can, if that man, in all of his brokenness, honors me and I work through his life, then you, in all of your messed up, jacked up nonsense, I can work through you if you'll honor me. That's the good news of the scripture. And so we have Abraham in the Bible. And what the Bible teaches us about Abraham is that Abraham believed God and it was given to him as righteousness. So we have Abraham. We're going to contrast Moses and, Aaron, or Moses and Abraham here because we're going to show you where the goodness of God, the concept of the goodness of God actually came in. It was always there, but it was not fully understood. God does not, I'll say this, God does not release aspects of his personality or aspects of his nature until men and women hunger for it. He will not release himself or his nature. He will show you a glimmer of who he is. And with the glimmer, if we saw oil bubbling up in your backyard, if we were right here and all of a sudden the drain opened up, whoa, there I'm over, I'm over in the waistline again. If with the drain, that's, why, that's probably why they put that up as a barrier so Kevin doesn't walk over there. But if the drain started bubbling up oil, or if we were in your backyard and oil all of a sudden just appeared in the ground, what would be the first thing you did? You'd probably go, what? Why is there, there must be oil under my ground. 
right? You'd be calling like an oil exploration service and trying to figure it out, right? So what God does is he shows you a glimmer of his nature, a glimmer of his goodness, a glimmer of who he is. And what he's expecting us to do is to press into that nature for a greater understanding. And what we teach the Christian to do is just wave as it passes you by. When God reveals a aspect of his nature, his love, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, he's expecting us to push into that so that we can get a better understanding. The understanding will not be given until a man or a woman begins to press into that area. We see that faith is what makes man right. We see it with Abraham. Well, how did we know that? Because Abraham believed God, and now we know that faith in the Lord is what makes us right before him. But that concept was not understood until Abraham pressed into that. And it was revealed. There's a, there's a principle of revival, and it says that it, it had not rained upon the earth in Genesis. There had been no rain upon the earth because there was no man to till the soil. Whoa. You mean there's no heaven's rain unless the people till the soil? Yep. What does that look like? Isn't that the question? What does it look like to till the soil? What does it look like to plow the field that God could bring a harvest? What does it look like to do that? And so here we see righteousness being revealed through Abraham, but we see the goodness of God being revealed through Moses. Abraham honored God, but it doesn't tell us he went past that. Moses wanted to know him. Big difference. Honoring God, Lord, I honor you. I honor you. I stand at a distance. I'm obedient to you. I believe everything you say. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I honor you. Moses said, that's not enough for me. I want to know you. Uh, we have the same concept in the, book, in the New Testament. We have 12 disciples. Right? Get rid of Judas. We have 11 faithful disciples. Right? And of the 11, uh, 10 of them were just content to be in the room. They were just happy to be in the room with Jesus. We have one who wasn't. It's John, right? We see it at the feast. He's got his head on Jesus' chest. He wasn't content to be in the room. Peter's just like, yeah, I'm in the room. I'm saying he's feeling the power. He's in the room. Yeah, I'm with him. Jesus is, John's like, I don't want to just be in the room with him. I want to know what matters to him. I want to know his heart. I want to know him from the inside out. And John was called the beloved disciple. And like Moses, who wanted to know the Lord, God said, there's no one on the earth like Moses. He I speak to face to face. Well, why did he speak to him face to face? Because Moses wanted to know him. Moses wanted to know him. And John wanted to know him. And did Jesus speak to John face to face? Yeah, after he was ascended, he appeared to John on the island of Patmos, if you know your scripture, and he gave him the book of Revelation. He literally revealed himself and the future kingdom, and he spoke to John face to face to show him the things that will be. Well, what made John so different? He wanted his heart. David was a man, what? After God's own heart. You know what that means? We always say, oh, he was like God. No, that's not what it's saying. He was a man who pursued the heart of God. And David, God looked at him and said, because you want my heart, no king, no descendant of yours will fail to sit upon the throne. If there is no descendant of David, there will be no throne. There will be no king. And we all know Jesus is the son of David. He is of the line of David, and he will sit upon the throne. But why did he give David such an honor? Because David wasn't common. David wasn't common. He wasn't ordinary. David wasn't like, well, I'm just content to be in the kingdom. I'm just content to watch Jesus pass by. I'm just content to know of the things of God. You know, none of this really matters to me. David's like, no, it all matters to me. I want his heart. And you see clear images of this within the scripture. When we pursue the Lord, he reveals. And when we pursue the Lord and when his heart matters to us, God actually decrees over our life. Hello. 
want, go for his heart. And here we have Moses. Moses comes and he says, now, Lord, show me your glory. So here's where the goodness of God or the knowledge of the goodness of God comes into the concept of the scriptures because it was lost. Sin made man lose his knowledge, right? That's what sin does. It blinds us. He says, the Lord is giving him a commission, telling him what to do. And Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass before you and I will proclaim my name to you. Well, first of all, Moses didn't ask for God's goodness. He asked for his glory. And so what the Lord said, what he's asking for in the Hebrew word, Sherry was quoting it, um, the, the Hebrew word for glory is, is the word kavod, and it means weight, substance. So what Moses was asking, that's why when you're in his presence and you feel the glory, you feel the substance of who he is. You feel the presence of who he is. That's why you, nobody's afraid when the Spirit's moving. I don't know about you. You're not worried about, you know, what's in your bank account or you're not worried about what's facing you. You know, you're in the presence of God. The weight of his goodness is here. All fear is gone. All worry is gone. And then we walk out the door and we're like, ah! run back into the church. It's scary out there. <laughs> but it's the weight of his goodness. So Moses is like, I want to know the weight of your goodness. And so he says, I'm going to, I'm going to want to know who you are. And the Lord says, you want to know who I am? You want to know the weight of who I am? I'm good. So the, for us to say that God is not good is to defy the very thing he says about himself. The substance of who he is, he declares to us in the scripture that he is good all the time. And what does he say? Moses, he passes before Moses and he proclaims his name because his goodness is in his name. And he passes in front of Moses and he says, the Lord, the Lord. Everybody say it with me. Compassionate. Compassionate. Gracious. Gracious. Slow to anger. Slow to abounding. abounding. In love. And faithfulness. And look at this. He maintains his love. You know what that means? His love for you is not based on you. Aren't you glad? He maintains the love. Right? Because you know what? You and I won't. Right? We're a faithless generation. On our best day, he maintains the love. And he says, my love for you, he sets his affections on us. Huh? So I deal with people, we talk about marriage and consequences, and people want to divorce, oh, I don't love this person anymore, I don't love anybody. I go, you can love anybody. You can love anybody. <laughs> you, you can. You set your affections upon them. It is a determination of your heart. It is not an emotion. And how do we know it's true? Because that's exactly the God is love, that's exactly what he does. He doesn't base it on his feeling. He doesn't base it on your performance. He is determined in his heart that he is going to love you. And no one can separate you from the love that he is determined to put upon your life. Excuse me for a moment. Hello. Aren't you glad? Goodness of God is the cornerstone. So he says, I'm, I'm faithful. I, watch this. He forgives. Somebody needs to shout. Somebody needs to help me out. He forgives. He forgives. What does he forgive? He forgives wickedness. He forgives rebellion. He forgives sin. Good God, who does that? Ask yourself, who does that? Do you forgive wickedness? Do you forgive rebellion? Do you forgive sin? No, you don't. It's not in your nature to do that because you're human. And forgiveness is a divine encounter. It is a divine impartation. Only God gives you the power to forgive. I love it. Oh, I don't have any problems with forgiveness, Pastor. I haven't unforgiven anybody in five years. I'm like, really? Nobody's hurt you deep enough. Let them cut you to the bone and you tell me how quickly you can forgive. You need the power of God to forgive because forgiveness only comes through the power of God. Buddha ain't forgiven you. Allah ain't forgiven you. The Zen guys aren't forgiven you, but Jesus is. 
He's not one among many. He's the one and only, and he is incomparable. He offers a salvation plan to the whole world, and he says, if you reject it, you will answer. That's what it's telling us. He's saying, listen, do not neglect so great a salvation. The Son of God, God has come down, become like you, lowered himself beneath you, not just beneath the angels, not just beneath his throne, but beneath me. He came beneath me to pick me up. That's the message, that I would come back to him, that I would give my heart to him, that I would follow him. And it says if we neglect that, there is no hope for us. There is salvation found in no other name. No other. At the name of Jesus, knees bow and tongues confess. If there's salvation in any other than Christ died in vain, then the God of heaven came down and was brutally murdered for nothing. And you think he did that? You think that? You think God is that wasteful? I always use the air analogy when you're flying into the airport. And the pilot gets on the radio, and aren't you glad the pilot doesn't say this? You know, when he comes in, we say, there are many ways to God. Aren't you glad that the pilot doesn't go? You know, I was up here with a co-pilot, and we were thinking about it. And we said to each other, there's many ways to land a plane. <laughs> so we're thinking we're going to land the plane today with the wheels up. Now, Herb over here, the navigator, he's saying, no, he thinks we can land upside down. Because there's many ways to land a plane. Aren't you glad? That's not the way it is. There's one, and it's Christ, man. And he is all in all. He is the desire of nations. He is the one everybody is looking for, and they don't even know it. He is the desire of nations. What you desire is found in him. What you hunger for is found in him. And when you begin to align your desires and go, Lord, I have a desire, I have a hunger for these things, but I know it's found in you. Whatever this is that's doing this, I know that that need is sufficient in you. What would happen? Goodness of God is the cornerstone of all thinking. Next slide, please. The kingdom culture, this is what this is about. This is the whole mission, the whole mandate of the church. This is why we are what we are. We are an ecclesia. We are an uprising. We're not an assembly. The Greek word for ecclesia does not mean assembly. It means uprising. Huh? Revolution of love. Revolution of transformation in a culture. Most of you, you came to Christ because you signed on for revolution. That's what I did. Jesus is going to change me and he's going to use me to change the world. That's revolution. Hello, sign me up. I'm down. And all the revolutionaries said, amen. Come on. It's a revolution of love. We are a culture assigned to bring heaven's culture to the earth. It has been that way from Adam. It is that way with Israel. It was that way when Christ came and is what he commissioned the church to do. That concept is all through the Bible. City within a city, culture within a culture, bringing the culture of that world into this one. That's who we are. And if we are that people that is to bring the culture of the, of the kingdom upon the earth, it has to begin with the way that we think. We have to filter all of our thinking through the goodness of God. And if it doesn't pass the test of the goodness of God, you can rest assured it is not of the Lord. Huh? Poverty is not of God. It's not. Poverty is of the devil. Poverty is a result of sin. Poverty is a result of systematic injustice. So what does that mean? That is not the will of the Father. There's no poverty in heaven. I don't know if you checked last. You know, streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearls, a sea that is made of crystal, literally diamonds. That doesn't sound too impoverished to me. More than enough. A, a, a banquet table that is spread that the nations can feed upon. There's, that doesn't sound like poverty to me. And if poverty is not an issue of heaven then why are we allowing it to be an issue of the earth? And who is responsible to answer the issues of poverty? 
The church. Who is responsible to answer the issues of injustice within the culture? The church. And I know it's a huge, op it's a huge scale, but we are to operate in that to the degree that we are capable of. We're to sow mustard seeds, doing whatever we can to bring about the system of heaven in the earth. This is who we are. Some of you are coming alive. You know why? Because I'm speaking to the Jesus in you, and you know, and you may not understand it, but your spirit's like, wow, this is crazy. This is good. Because I'm speaking the gospel to you. We filter all of our thinking through that, our theology, the way we think about the Lord. If it doesn't pass through Jesus, it doesn't pass at all. The way we pray. Oh, God, just have mercy on this person. Lord, we just know that you're merciful, God, and just have mercy on this person. He's already had mercy. The mercy is the cross. Take your position, son and daughter, and release it. Take your position, son and daughter, and call it forth. That's what he's saying. Have a bunch of disciples. Here we go. We got the disciples. Got an epileptic guy. Keeps throwing himself into the fire. And Jesus comes down from the mountain. He's coming out of the glory. He's just revealed the glory. And he comes down to the mountain and he comes into a theological debate. We have the Pharisees, we have the disciples, and we have a father going, I don't know what to do. And so the Pharisees are like, well, we don't believe in miracles. There hasn't been a miracle in 500 years. So the fact that this boy can't be healed, well, there's no problem with us. Because theologically, you see, we've never believed in that. And we haven't actually ever seen it in any generation since we've been around. And then the disciples are like, well, we know that God heals, but, you know, he's not healing here. So, you know, God works in mysterious ways. We just don't even know what we're doing. You know, we just, we do, we, you know, this is, maybe it's God's not God's will for you to be healed. Jesus comes down and speaks the word of the kingdom. And the boy is healed. He falls down dead because the supernatural encountered the natural. And boom, that system dies. When the kingdom of God encounters the natural, the system of this world must die. And Jesus reached his hand out and pulled the boy up. And the disciples came to him and said, what was the problem, Lord? We were endued with your world. We were endued with your authority. And he said, this kind comes not but by prayer and fasting. You have got to ascend to a place in order to manifest that. So is the problem with Jesus or is the problem with us? We never see Jesus praying and fasting. Interesting. Except one place. When he was in the wilderness, right? So the question must be, is if the key to what he just said is in prayer and fasting, yet Jesus never prayed and fasted, then where did Jesus pray and fast? So the key or the gate's got to be there. We pray and fast into situations all the time. Jesus prayed and fasted into a mindset. Jesus prayed and fasted into a realm. He prayed and fasted to make his mind one with the world above. His prayer and fasting was to engage the spirit and to begin to understand, not because he couldn't, because he was God, but he was taking his flesh, God in the flesh, and he was bringing his flesh into subjection to that world. And so he prayed and he fasted to bring his flesh, including his fleshly mind, into subjection of that world. So that when he walked and he encountered, he was not thinking on this plane. He was not seeing it. They didn't even know what the problem was with that boy. Jesus said, deaf and dumb spirit. They didn't know. Jesus called it out by name. And he said, faithless generation, how long must I bear with you? Sons and daughters of God who have the covenant promises upon them. How long must I bear with you? When will you understand who you are? When will you make the sacrifices and the commitments and the determinations to become who you are? Just a thought. <laughs> Just a thought. This is the gospel of the kingdom. This is the high gospel. The high gospel. Jesus proclaims the gospel of the kingdom, the dominion, the rule and reign of God into every area of life. 
This gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the earth, and then the end shall come. We think it's the gospel of salvation. Well, the gospel of salvation is in the gospel of the kingdom. But it's not the gospel of salvation that will be proclaimed in all the earth. It's the gospel of the kingdom. The rule and the reign of God in breaking into society. When the sons and daughters of God begin to understand, begin to press in, begin to wrestle against what they don't know and what they believe and begin to line and conform with who they are, taking risks, making mistakes, failing a thousand times, but knowing you can fail 10,000 times and Jesus will pick you right back up. We don't risk because we're afraid of failure. Give me a break, right? What do you got to lose? You got nothing to lose. Fail a thousand times. And Jesus, you know what he's going to do? He's going to look at you and go, what'd you learn? Did you learn anything from that, Kevin? Yeah, I did, Lord. I learned to step over it. <laughs> and great. Now let's go again. That's how he is, man. He's that good. Say this with me. If God is good or more good than the way I think, you know what's coming. I must change the way I think. If he is bigger, come on, then I think, then I must change the way I think. If he is better than what I believe, then I must change what I believe. You get it? Be not conformed, be you transformed. We conform to traditions of men. We conform to doctrines of men. We are to transform into that world. That we come from a people that are from another planet. And they're like, who are you? Man, when you Christians show up, the world changes. When you Christians come here, I see you guys battle through it, but I see something shift. I see nations shift. Oh, there's, it's all over that, man. It begins with a mindset. It's to affect everything that we are. It's all we are and all we do. Ready to say this with me. This is Psalm 115. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth is given to mankind. Who's in charge? Is the Lord in charge of the earth? Did he make Adam in charge? Did he make, did, when he created Adam, he put Adam in charge of the earth? Adam's sin gave the keys to the devil. Then the devil became in charge of the earth. He told Jesus, I'm the God of this world. Jesus didn't deny it because Adam surrendered his authority to the devil. So Jesus defeats the devil, takes back the keys of hell and the grave, the authority of the realm of heaven or the realm of the earth, and hands it back. He says, it's all mine now. So here you go. I'm giving it back to you. Now you go. So Jesus, Adam had it. Lost it. Jesus came, got it back, gave it back to us, and recommissioned us. This is why the enemy wars against the mind. This is why he wars against the identity of the believer. Constant warfare against identity. Constant warfare against thinking. Constant. Because he realizes when we get the mindset right, and we refuse to accept the things that are not in our inheritance, the world will change. The kingdom will come. Co-laboring relationship, it's always a partnership. Say it with me, it's always a partnership. It's about bringing that world into ours, and that world is to affect our economics, that world is to affect our relationships, that world is to affect the way we do justice, that world is to affect edu uh, education. So Christian, you don't operate with your money the way the world tells you to operate with your money. I know you, somebody, you might want to write that down, right? This is one of the things you get to pound in your head, right? We operate with our money, and we're no different than the way the culture around us is. We're to operate with our money within the systemic economy of heaven and all that that means and all that that understands. And I'm not here to give you an economic message on heaven. Whatever it means, it's the way we, it's the way we do justice in our world. The church is to bring about the equality of justice, not our government, 
How many knows your government's never going to bring about the equality of justice? On a good day, right? On a good day. But the church has been empowered by God himself to bring about. That doesn't mean we have the answers because we don't. The first thing we have to do is accept that responsibility. Then the second thing we have to do is accept the passion or the vision that he's given us to do it. And all that vision is different. There's a corporate vision, then there's a, there's a collective vision, and then there's an individual vision. But what is God telling you to do? What can you do? What's in your hand? We're all, to, we're all to bring up, we're agents of change. And we're to bring about that change. Not with our own strength, but with the power of the Spirit, with the power of heaven. We are the ones called to affect change upon the earth. Next slide. Did you guys get in that? You guys getting all this? Yeah? All right. Okay. Yeah, clap. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody asked me, they're like, what's it like to teach? I'm like, just imagine yourself running laps naked a few times. That's really what it is. It's completely vulnerable. And then the next morning you wake up and you're like, what did I say? <laughs> I said, what? They called the pastor's hangover because you got a headache and you're like, I, what did I, did I, did I actually do that? Oh no. Anyway, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. From that time, everybody say, the good news, the good news. of the kingdom of God is being preached. So up until the time of John, who's John the Baptist in your Bible, the, the, the law and the prophets were proclaimed. From the time of John forward, it's good news of the kingdom, the king's dominion, okay? Everyone is forcing their way into it. Well, what's the good news? The good news is God is good. The dominion, the rule and the reign, God is good, and we are to begin to bring the goodness of God into our own lives and into the world around us, Okay? Some of you here, you struggle financially and you think it's God's plan for you to struggle financially. Have you read your Bible? The Bible says that God wants you to have enough and enough to share. Poverty is not in the scripture. Prosperity is relative, okay? There's different levels of prosperity. And guess what, people? The more prosperity you have, the more accountable you are with it. But prosperity is relative to the, un but poverty is not in the kingdom. And we have to force our way into the things that God said you could have. Everybody see that right there? See that? And everyone is forcing their way into it. The rule and reign of God's dominion in your life, economically, in a culture, we have to keep, in other words, we have to keep at it. We have to do what he says, align ourselves. Every promise has a condition, right? Every, he's going to activate a promise, but there's conditions upon it. I'll save you, but you've got to give your heart away. That's a condition. Sorry to say that. Every single promise God makes, he puts a condition upon it. Given, it shall be given back to you. Press down, shake it together, running over. Will God cause men to pour in your bosom? Well, it ain't going to happen unless you, what? Give. There's the promise attached to the, to, to, the, to the blessing. On and on and on it goes, right? So we have to understand that. We have to understand that we have to press into the things of God. We have to understand that we have to pursue it until it comes upon us. Forced in if need be. We already talked about that. The world's fallen and needs to be redeemed. Evil happens because of a broken world, a fallen devil, or just stupid things, or, or uh, cowardly things that you don't do or don't want to do, or anything like that. Choices. Evil's there. So the, this is what the problem is. And so what the earth is waiting for is for the sons and daughters to take their rightful place. So if the partnership is with heaven, and it's as Jesus said, you ready for this? Ever say it with me? On earth as it is in heaven. Huh? What is he talking about? We, we bring his will into this world through prayer and partnership with his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's the design of God. So why don't we see it happening? Because the sons and daughters have to learn to take their rightful place. You have to begin to understand who you are. You want to walk in certain things, you've got to change your mindset. 
God's blessing or pertain to the, oftentimes it's the limitedness in which we think. Some of you, I feel in my spirit, there are people here that you believe you're a kingdom builder. Some of you, you see it in your heart. You believe that God's called you to do something great or that you're a kingdom builder or you're something like that or you're just called, I feel like I'm supposed to do this in order for me to give or do something like that. And you feel that's on you, but you don't know how to get there. Well, the first place you do is you gotta have an abundant mindset. That's number one. If you don't have a God, if you don't understand that there's an abundant mindset, that heaven is not broke nor will it ever be, I was just sharing with a guy, uh, Heinrich and I were talking about this, and I was telling him, I said, God showed this to me, and he was trying to get me to start thinking in terms of abundance. He said, Kevin, the earth you're standing on is producing wealth while you stand. This earth right now is making gold while we speak and while we sit here. It's producing oil, it's producing silver, it's producing turquoise, it's producing rubies, it's producing gems untold while you're here. So God creates an earth, an environment that generates wealth. Does he think, do you not think that that's not something he will do with your life? Do you not think that not even, and again, wealth was not just an issue of money, but God's significance. Ultimately, what financial wealth is merely to do is bring greater levels of significance. That's really what it's called, what it's for. It's really not, it's all, all that is is a tool, right? So anyway, enough on that. Back on this. So we're sons and daughters. So here it is. Creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. So the earth is waiting to change. The earth is waiting to shift when the sons and daughters of God know who they are. The earth, through sin, this is what it's implying, was subjected to futility. In other words, all of creation is meaningless. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You understand that? Ever feel like that? What's it all mean? This is all empty. This is all meaningless. Because sin has made creation subjected to futility. But the Lord subjected it to hope. In other words, the created world will respond to hope. I'm giving you some deep, deep, deep stuff, but I feel like you can handle it. All right? Everybody say this with me. I can handle it. All right. So what happens is, is that we bring hope to the world. We bring hope to ourselves and creation responds. Hope, say this with me, hope is the joyful expectation of something good. That's what hope is. We're hope bringers. We bring hope to the world. It's broken, it's messed up, there's always hope. Huh, what power's in you, Christian? Huh, what does it tell us in Romans? Romans one, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, right? He makes alive your mortal body. Is that Romans one? I know it's in Romans one. Romans one is Jesus is declared to be the son of God. It may be off in the chapter, but I got the book right. I'm spitballing here, help me out. Well, what we receive, what we receive, we receive resurrection power. The power you carry, the power every believer carries is the power of resurrection. That's the power that's in you. What is resurrection? Life to the dead. Well, what's dead? What's broken? What's in need? We carry it. The non-believer doesn't carry it. You carry it. The non-believer doesn't have the power. They do not even have access to those resources, and they don't have access to the mind of Christ. But you do. Adam lost keys. Jesus got it back. So we bring hope because creation itself will be delivered from the bondage and corruption. And what would creation become like? It will become like what we make it, or when Christ comes, he's going to... Jesus, when he comes, is fully... So we have two concepts. Jesus, when he comes, he's going to fully redeem it. It's fully going to happen when Christ comes. But in the meantime, the earth can, the earth can be progressively regenerated through the understanding of the sons and daughters of God. So there's the concept. All right, next slide. All right, so I'm going to do this because I didn't do this first service, and then I'm going to really move fast. Hosea says, In the last days, the children of Israel will seek the Lord and their king, and they will, they will with surrendered reverence to the Lord and to his goodness. 
and it will be upon everybody. So what it's saying is in the last days, what's going to happen is there's going to be a surrendered reverence into the goodness of God. So what's going to happen and what you see in an understanding that's moving in the church is that God is bringing about a greater and greater understanding of his goodness. Anybody believe we're in the last days? Okay. Last days is the period of time that's proceeding until Christ returns. Well, how long are the last days? I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> I've, re I've reserved the right to disagree with myself. But nonetheless, we are, we are in the last seasons of, 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 this, of this time and space. We're in that time and season of that. And so there's going to be a greater understanding of the revelation of the goodness of God. And what it means is that the reverence to the surrendered reverence, there's another meaning here, the surrendered reverence to the things of God is what begins to manifest the goodness of God to you. You want the goodness of God, the first thing you've got to do is with surrendered reverence come to him. With surrendered reverence we receive from him. In the house of the shogun, all right? In Japan, the shoguns were like the big samurai kings, and they had little low doors. So that when you went into the house of the shogun, you went in like that. So you offered that shogun your head when you came into, your, into his presence. Huh? It's a whole new dynamic we're talking about here. We come unto the Lord with surrendered reverence. Like that, he is the shogun of shoguns. Right? With surrendered reverence, we receive his goodness. With surrendered reverence, we receive his grace. This not only plays out into salvation, it plays out into every other area with surrendered reverence. God puts a mission and a mandate on your life. The first thing that's got to happen is you've got to, with surrendered reverence, accept it. It's only then, with surrendered reverence, do you begin to even become empowered to do it. Because you're not called to figure it out. God's called you to do something great or do, do great things, and you've got to, with surrendered reverence, do it. So how do we, how do we begin to experience the mind of So first of all, it's got to be a mindset. But the second part is it's got to be experienced. Say this with me. It must be experienced. Somebody can talk you out of knowledge, but they cannot talk you out of experience. Can I get a witness? Right? They can talk you out of knowledge, but they can't talk you out of something you've experienced. Somebody's been healed of the Lord, and you come to them and you tell them God doesn't heal. Well, you're too late. They're already healed. They're not going to talk them out of that experience. Somebody experienced God's presence and they say, the Holy Spirit isn't for today. Well, you're too late. I already have the Holy Spirit. You're not going to talk me out of that because I already have it. So not only is it knowledge, but it must be experience. And how do we experience the goodness of God? Number one, we practice the presence. We are a people of the presence. We must learn to practice the presence. We must learn to get in his presence, draw from his presence. We must learn how to situate our lives within his presence. We must also not only become to practice the presence, we have to learn to discern within the presence. Everybody say it with me. I must learn to discern within the presence. So when you're in the presence of the Lord, you must be able to discern what's happening. Sometimes God's just loving you. Just let his love. You have to discern the love and let it happen. What we do is we think it's all something freaky. So as soon as a Christian starts feeling the Holy Spirit, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Keep it all over there. You know, whoa, whoa. Let the river flow, man. <laughs> Let him move. We are a people of his presence, right? We worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, we think we worship him only in truth. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we get into his presence and we begin to become mature, not only through the knowledge of the word, but we become mature by rightfully discerning what is going on in the spirit, like, like this. I guess, okay, so I, have, I felt like God had a word, you know, I was going to share the whole word. I kept seeing this vision of the car going through the dominoes and all that stuff. So, and uh, Noah walks up to me and he goes, 
you feel like, uh, I feel like God wants to do some healing here. I feel like, I feel, he goes, you feel that? You know, this was before worship. And I go, well, I'm always down to pray for the sick, so let's just do it anyway. And so then I come up here. But it was a discernment of what's going on in the presence. That's one level of it. With you and with, with most people, it's discerning his love. There's love, man. Let's let him love you. God, help us to let the Lord love you. Would you please let Jesus love you? A love that just pours over you. A love that just breaks you to the core. A love that just causes everything to flow and the tears to flow in your life because he's just loving you. We always stop him. And you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You know when the Spirit's going and you're just stopping him right there. All right, you ain't going any further. Okay, I'm, got, I'm, I'm right here. I got my hands up like this. It's good. We're good. We're good. And the Holy Spirit's like, I want to go deeper. I want to move deeper. Right? Let him move, man. You know what we're afraid of? We're afraid of what he'll find. He already knows it's there anyway. He already knows what you got packed in those boxes down there in the basement. He already knows. The Bible says if our heart condemns us, he's greater than our heart, and he knows all things. He already knows. Let him love you. Begin to discern what is happening in the spirit. Begin to pour the love's being poured out. This is what the Bible says. The spirit of the Lord is on you. So this is what happens. This is the activation that happens in the spirit. The first thing that happens is this presence of God comes on you. And in the presence, there are rivers. And what are the rivers? Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the revered uh, surrender to the Lord. So in the presence of God, you have wisdom. You have wisdom that people look at you and go, where'd you get that from? Jesus in the spirit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get in the spirit and the Lord shows you something and you're like, wow, that, that was, I, gotta, I better write that down because I don't think I'm going to remember that when I get home. You have an understanding. You know things that you wouldn't ordinarily know. In the Spirit. Begins the Spirit of the Lord, and out of that comes all of this. Spirit of counsel and might. You ever been in the Holy Spirit and somebody comes up to you and asks you a question? And man, you just give them counsel? And you, you start sounding like Dr. Phil. You know what I mean? Like, man, I think I need a TV show. That was really good. <laughs> then you're not in the Spirit, and you try to go, now, what did I say? I can't remember what I said. It's the Spirit of counsel. Spirit of might. Spirit of might is a power that you possess that is not with you under any other ordinary circumstances. Your power is in the spirit. Your might is in the spirit. Your releasing is in the spirit. Spirit is a knowledge. Fear of the Lord. So we have to learn to practice his presence, realize what's available to us in the presence, meditate upon his word. That's what causes us to grow. What does that look like? Just give you John 3, 16. Okay? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So what does it look like to meditate on the world? God so loved. So loved. What does it mean, Lord, to so love? I'm firing her up right down here. She's getting excited. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's how you meditate on the word. What does it mean for him to so love? What does it mean that God so loved he gave? Lord, you gave. What does that look like? Lord, you gave. This is how you take the word and you meditate upon it. And you begin to meditate upon the word. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does that mean? I don't feel like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But God said I can do all things. What does this mean? And let the, let the Lord deal with you. That's how you meditate upon the scriptures. This is how we grow, right? Practice presence. Last slide. I promise you. There it is. Last slide. We practice intentional, say it with me, intentional prayer and confession. We do not pray anything that is contrary to the will of God. Nothing. So that requires a reframing of your thinking. Oh, God, if you would, just would you, could you, put you, please, you know, if you're in a good mood today, would you please? That's not the will of heaven. God's always in a good mood. 
so you know. Is his will that none should perish, but all should come to salvation. Beloved, I desire that you, that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Is it God's will to be healed? Yeah. Why aren't we healed? Well, see previous conversation. We have not, we have, we have not accessed, we see, we see things in bits and pieces. We can't carry the weight of what it is that we are called to be. I told you guys before, I believe in God for certain things. I'm believing God. I'm believing God to see healing literally on demand. And then you say, wow, that's so ambitious, Kevin. Oh, I just can't believe you're just really believing God for that. Oh, gosh, ha, 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 ha. Well, I'm believing him for the moon. What are you believing him for? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. If we can give prophetic word on, on notice, and any of you who operate in prophetic word, you will understand that if you just move into the spirit, you can give a prophetic word very easily, literally, on, almost on demand. Well, if we can operate in the prophetic spirit on demand, then why can't we operate in healing on demand? And so I was praying into that and asking the Lord and telling him what I wanted, and I felt like the Lord said, you're not big enough to carry what you're asking for. All right? Well, you know what Jesus does? I'm going to tell you what he does. He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Huh? He offends. He pushes you back to see if you're going to come back at him. Syrophoenician woman. Do not give what is holy to dogs. He just called her a dog. He's pushed her. Bread is for the children. Don't give holy to dogs. Dog. She came right back at him. Yes, but dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. He goes, bam, it's yours. We go, oh, Jesus, call me a dog. We wrap ourselves up in our own blankets of insecurity. Oh, God told me I wasn't big enough to carry what I'm asking for. Maybe I'm not even called to ministry anymore. I think I'm going to quit. Or you go back to him and you say, then you change me. Then you dismantle me and you refabricate me and you change me emotionally and you change me spiritually and you change me physically if you must. You do what you got to do to give me what I'm asking for. And you know what he'll do? He'll do exactly that. And then what happens is he starts dismantling your life and you're like, oh no, God, don't do that. We just asked him to do it. He'll rebuild you to get you to carry what he's given you. Sometimes it requires a complete remodel down to the foundation. Anyway, <laughs> that's my story. I'm believing God for it. I'm believing God. You know why? Look, he is Jehovah Rapha. His goodness is revealed in his name. So if he's Jehovah Rapha, then he's a healer. If he sent his word to heal my diseases, then he's a healer. If he said he will lay hands on the sick and they will recover, then he said that we can heal. Then why are we healing? Well, Article 1, are we laying hands on the sick? Well, Article 2, do we have the right mindset? Do we understand these things? Article 3, are we big enough to carry what it is that he's called us to do? And are we humble enough, Shogun, are we humble enough to bow our heads and go, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing? Are you humble enough to say that? And let the one who does know what he's doing teach you. Well, that's what I want. He glimmers his nature to you. I'm a healer. Anybody want to press in? He glimmers his nature. Jehovah, Ra Jehovah Jireh, I'm a provider. Anybody want to press in? Oh, Jehovah Jireh, there he goes. Waving as he passes by. Jehovah just said, canoe, yep, there's my righteousness just swimming by me. Jehovah Shalom, the God that causes me to rise in all areas. That's what Shalom means, rising in all areas. The God that causes me to rise in all areas of my life. There he goes. Do you step into it? Do you press into it? Just a question. Lastly, practice open displays of his goodness. What does that look like? Be simple and do good. Any and everybody can do good. You can do good. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Ouch. Why? Because we're bringing the culture of heaven to earth. That's why we do it. We don't do it because the person deserves it. 
We don't do it because they're better than you. We don't do any of that. We do it because it's what right to God. We bring honor. We honor people. We activate the supernatural. So the simple is this. The higher levels are this, or the lower levels, the more humble layers. Activate the supernatural with prophetic word, healing, counsel, and wisdom. Activate it. I tell you guys stories all the time. Like sometimes I'm in the spirit, sometimes I'm not. And sometimes the Lord starts poking me and tells me to get in the spirit because he wants to do something. I, was at, I told you the story at least recently, all right? And I'll tell you real quick. I was at Walgreen, or Walmart buying stuff. I forgot something. If you ever go to Walmart, it's like an hour to just get through the checkout, right? So I already checked out. And Sherry goes, oh, Kevin, I need tomato soup or I don't, I don't even know, onions or I don't even know. And I'm like, well, can't we get it later? She's like, no, I really need it. I really need you to get it now. So I go back into the cavern, right? And I go, I'm walking down the aisle to get the soup. And there's a lady there with her son. And as I'm walking by, boom, I just felt like boom, like that, you know? And so I'm, I'm getting the soup and I can hear the Lord start talking to me. And I go, okay. So I just pause, let the spirit talk to me. And I look at the kid and I feel like he has a word for, I have a word for him. And uh, I just start casually talking to him. I go, well, hey, you, you, you play sports? And he goes, uh, yeah, but I haven't been playing in a while. And I said, uh, what's your favorite sport? And I could feel my spirit was football. And he goes, I love football. I'm like, man, I love football. I go, you should really start to play football. And then I look at his mom and I go, look, I'm a Christian and I feel like I have a word for your son. And she goes, oh, Jesus, please give it to us now. <laughs> I mean, immediately her hands went up. She's like, oh, yeah. Like, and I started telling him, I see you playing football and I see a bridge being made for you. I said, something with football is going to bridge. And I could see him going to college out of a bridge of football that was happening to him. And I just started releasing into his life. And I said a whole bunch of other stuff to him. And then I'm leaving and I'm in a checkout line. And the kid runs me down. He's like, can I get your phone number? Can I get your phone number? And he texts me. And my wife's like, who is this guy that keeps texting you, asking you all these questions? And she's like, who is that? And I said, oh, man, it's a kid I ran into in Walmart. Well, what does that mean? You're bringing the goodness of God through the word, a prophetic word over his life. That kid is like, boom, forever changed because someone released the word. Hello, right? We support the intentional, and I know I'm long, but I'm going to shut up right here. Uh, support the intentional development of God's purposes. You can't talk about the goodness of God in 30 minutes, all right? It just can't be done. He's too good. So just bear with me and take a little bit more goodness. Say, more goodness, Jesus. <laughs> we support the intentional development of God's purposes upon the earth. The church is God's purpose upon the earth. It is the responsibility of the Christian to sustain the church. That ain't my idea. I got other plans, right? This is God's plan, that his people support it, because this is a representation of the goodness of God upon the earth. Right? What would happen if we began to do this? We're, gonna, we're, we're getting ready to start a school. You know, we're going to give you an opportunity in two years, not this school season, but the following school year. We're going to give you an opportunity, and you can become a part of what we're going to be doing. We're laying it all out as we speak. We're going to start a school with the intention of building a school. It's going to be a full-on Christian school, but the intention of doing this school is to create in them more than anything else a mindset. What would happen if we began to train kids to operate in a different mindset? What would happen? God, for, God, you know, heaven knows. If we began to teach kids the goodness of God, we began to teach kids the will of God, we began to teach kids how to engage the spirit, we began to teach them these things. In a generation, you would see entrepreneurs in the, in the, in the inner city neighborhoods. You would be, I believe you would see things change. I believe it. I've seen it in my spirit. I saw the school. I talked with a couple people about it. And I literally was seeing it in my spirit, like, you know, walking into the school, and there's like little five-year-olds laying hands on people in the, in the school. A redemption of a generation. Why? Heaven to earth. Heaven to earth. It is the call and the mandate of us to bring heaven to earth. 
And what would look like if we trained kids in this and we began to do a redemptive plan over arts and expression and creativity. We would see songs unsung. We would see art never known. We would see businesses. I see an entrepreneurial school, you know, where we're training these kids and understanding microfinance and understanding business principles and practical things that no one else will tell them. And it's a school targeted at, 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 at kids that fall below an economic level. So I don't know if you're aware of this, and this is on a side note, and then you guys can all throw me in. If you're a guest, you can go, that guy's off too long, I don't want to come back anymore. <laughs> or you can just pull on the vision that God is releasing in this room. Christian schools, I don't know if you're aware of this. You ever gone to a Christian school? I mean, yeah. You, you see what their tuition levels are? Can I get a witness? Well beyond the means of the inner city kid. Well beyond the means. I mean, we're talking eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars a year for most Christian schools. That's the tuition rates. What would happen if we began to make that available to a different, a different, a different culture? What if we began to took, to look at, at at almost a forgotten group of people that have no access to such things, and we began to minister to the to the least of these? Would God bless that? Well, according to my Bible, I believe He would. <laughs> it's not an issue of ethnicity. It's an issue of economics. You know. It doesn't matter. We're going to minister. We want to minister. This is our vision. This is our heart. This is our goal. And we believe that we, we know we can do it. We have, to come, we have to raise startup money in order to do it. But, but the rest of the money will come in time. We already know. We already got the structures in place. It's already going to happen. But it's a whole thing. But you'll hear me talk about it a little bit more. But some of you, like even right now, this, you're, hitting, you're getting hit with that. And you're going to go, Lord, I want to do something with that. That's all you got to do. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do with that? You know? And if you want to be a part of that, it's sometime in the future. I'm going to be sharing on a little bit later. Um, I'm trying to put it all together first and make sure we can actually feasibly do it. And um, I'm, Oliver's 100% sure. I'm 99.9% sure. Tom is 125% sure. So um, I think we're over there. Tank, where are you at? You're about like, what, 160, 170? Tank's up there. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this. So anyway. But anyway, I'm going to close right here. You guys forgive me for that? You guys want that? Yeah, all right. Okay, I don't like losing the room, but I try to be faithful to what God is saying. And this is a part of his goodness. And this message, that, that statement of what we're going to do. And I believe that God is not only going to do one school. I believe that he's going to multiply four or five schools. And I believe that that template of the schools that we do is going to begin to go into Mexico. Is going to begin to go into the regions of the Caribbean. We're going to be able to create a model and a template of a, school, of a structure of a school. And we're going to begin to bring, oh, I'm going to choke up here. We're going to begin to bring redemption to generations. We're going to see a redemption within the generations. I felt like the Lord, yeah, come on. I felt like God told me in five years, you'll see fruit from this. Within five years, if you process it, within five years, you'll begin to see change. You'll begin to see change. And we're going to empower a generation that tells them they can change their world. We're going to empower a generation that tells them to stop waiting on their government, to stop waiting on somebody else to do it. We're going to empower them to tell them to understand that heaven is for you and heaven has called you to do this. And a whole mentality of people that think that way. What would, what would happen? What would happen? Well, we know what would happen. <laughs> Let me bless you guys. I love you. Thank you for sharing. Let me do that. It's a very vulnerable thing for me to share, so I just uh, let it, put it out there. Running naked here on the stage before you this morning. Father, I just thank you for these wonderful group of people. God, I just release everything that you say. I get out of the way, Lord, and I just release your words. Whatever you want to say and whatever you want to do. And God, I just release your impartation of your goodness and your understanding to this beloved crowd, this beloved sons and daughters that you have, God, assembled before you. And God, I just thank you so much for what you're doing and what you're going to do. And God, I just acknowledge your presence. 
I acknowledge your favor upon these, these sons and daughters' lives, and I call it out, Lord. I call your spirit into them, and I call out their destiny, and I just release over you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever abide within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We